Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of our Seven Investing Podcast, where it's our mission to empower you to invest in your future. I'm Seven Investing founder and CEO Simon Erickson. You can learn more about our long term investing approach at seveninvesting.com. You actually see our stock recommendations, where we come up with our seven favorite stock market opportunities each and every month. You can learn more about that in your first month free at seveninvesting.com slash subscribe. But today, let's chat about the digital transformation. And this is something a lot of companies are excited about, using new technologies to improve their own operations. And I'm very excited to welcome my guest today. Howard Holton is the Chief Technology Officer of GigaOM. He's, a, he's working for a company that's deploying uh, cutting-edge emerging technologies at scale for large enterprises and also helping others make more informed decisions about them. Howard, welcome to the Seven Investing Podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Simon. How are you today? Doing wonderful. I mean, you've had quite a quite a career in this, Howard. You've been at kind of the forefront of innovation for two decades. Pretty excited to hear some of your insights. So we're going to chat about um, hardware. We're going to talk about processors. We're going to talk about cloud. We're going to talk about metaverse. we got a, a full slate of discussion topics, but maybe let's start at the 10,000 foot level. I mean, Howard, you've done this for so long. You've described uh, your professional career in your own words as kind of leadership is the successful execution of vision. Can you start us off by kind of just talking about where the tech world stands right now? What are some things that people are really excited about or that you're embracing that um, is being deployed out there? So so uh, that's a really good question. Um, I think the tech world stands kind of at the same place it did in the PC revolution. Um, and, and it's really interesting, right? We were very comfortable with mainframe for years and years and years and years. And then these little boxes came along that changed the the control of power within an organization and the the ability um, to not have to to time slice quite the same way and and really changed kind of how we worked and how we operated with the PC. Um, we we've seen this before, right? Cloud kind of kind of was another another big uh, change in you know how we computed economics, how we computed value, um, what we invested in, just as organizations, not 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 as as necessarily investors, right? Um, and today we're sitting at the precipice of kind of the AI revolution. Um, and it's it's interesting. AI is not a new concept. It's not a new thing. Um, but what's interesting about it is AI requires um, so many things to be in the right place at the right time for it to work. It requires kind of an open legislative um, worldview because AI needs to be a little unbound by legislation in order to find the innovation that will absolutely have to be legislated. But it also requires a level of processing that we haven't really had in the density we've had. It, it kind of requires cloud to be effective, right? It, it requires these, these hyperscalers to really enable it, but it also requires data in volumes that we've never really had before. Um, so I think we're, I, I think as a space, as an industry, I think technology is really kind of at the precipice of this next big quantum leap in potential, um, potential to change the world, potential to, to, to change how we interact with it, what we think about, right? Um, I was just reading this morning, there is a video game that, cur that, that right now today has the very first AI powered NPC. So the NPC in game can change how it acts based on the actions of the player not based on a script, but based on the actual actions of the player. Um, it's it's a super interesting and super exciting time to be alive. I, I don't have to mention Chat GPT. Um, you know, I'm sure that popped into everybody's head, but uh, but it's a really interesting time to to be on this podcast, right? To be talking about this, to be asked that question. 
It is. And so let's go to the front lines, right? So let's let's dig a little bit deeper into AI, right? This is not just something that's being done for fun things. I've used Midjourney. I've seen the amazing pictures that you can use the AI to generate. Uh, you're talking about gaming. You know, this isn't something that's just beating humans in Go or in StarCraft. Good luck beating against the AI in this anymore. But now it's starting to get some enterprise adoption and some interest out there. Where does that stand? I mean, you're in the front lines, like we said, Howard. You know, you're working with enterprises, having them understand AI. How do they want to deploy this out there? Um, well, well, I think the big focus is on ChatGPT, and if we if we talk about that for a second, that's different. That is a a generative a, a, um, AI, and that is a different that is different than kind of general use AI overall. Um, within within the context of AI, there's a million different use cases and a million different ways to apply it, and many of those are currently in use in business, should be in use in business, and if your business isn't currently using AI somewhere, you probably should be reviewing it. But if we focus on chat GPT and generative AI, um, there's a whole lot of discussion about that. And how do I use that in my business? And how do I take advantage of that in my business? Um, and my advice would be enjoy, but be cautious. Because generative AI is not to be trusted. And I'm not saying that as some sort of doomsday kind of prediction at all. It simply will make things up. Right. And so personally, if you want to use it personally and you want to write a blog using ChatGPT or you want to write a book or whatever, go for it. Have fun. Um, the 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 blast radius of reputational damage is relatively small. It's you as an individual. As an organization, however, ChatGPT has made up the answer to mathematics problems. It just doesn't understand math well yet. Um, it's made up answers to many questions like um how many different uh, uh, inputs are used to train ChatGPT? Um, it makes up the answer because the answer is not publicly available. It makes it, it has made up the answer on other generative AI uh, projects as to how many how many training factors do they use, how many training points do they use. It just makes them up. When it doesn't know the answer, it makes it up, and that's okay. But it's not okay for something that you may rely on for business. It's not okay for something, especially that you may rely on for strategy, or you may rely on for things that could impact your reputation. So I would really be cautious um, how you use chat GPT or other generative AIs in ways um, where you're expecting to be able to make money. Okay, so AI is a chronic embellisher of the truth. I knew some people like that back in high school, and now it's just at a much, much larger uh, <laughs> scale than this. I mean, you know, but we've got different large language models, right? Everyone seems to have their flavor of how do you filter all of this information out there, separate all, you know, take take the actual signals and, and, and get rid of the noise, basically, right? And we've got different LLMs out there. You've got Alphabet Scott Bard, you know, that Facebook Scott Lama. You mentioned GPT. It seems like Elon's just launched his own that he wants to seek the truth. Everyone wants to have the right filter and the right screen to get the right answers out there. How do you take this? Why do we have so many of these different large language models? Uh, which of these is going to endure? Or how do we even progress with AI before we can address some of the, the, the hurdles that we're facing right now? Well, to be honest, we're progressing exactly the way we should be progressing with AI. We need multiple models. We need multiple competitors, right? Um, we, we need as much... It, it, think of it like Pandora's box, right? Once Pandora's box, you're not putting Pandora back in the box. Um, and what we really need is as many eyes on it as possible to say, oh, no, 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 now wait a minute. That's probably not the right way to do that. We should do it this way instead, only to have someone then come back and say, well, yeah, that's not really the right way either. We probably should do this instead. This is the wild, wild west, right? 
we're all out here staking claims. We're all out here with pitchforks trying to find the next gold mine. The reality of the situation is we need a lot of competition. We need far more competition than we had, exponentially more competition. Doesn't mean you're going to make money at it. There's going to be a whole lot of uh, death and destruction along the way of finding what the truth will be within generative AI, right? Language learning models. We're we're miles away, years away from, from reality. And, and the current version of ChatGPT, just as a single uh, LLM, is version four. Version five is is in the works, right? Bard, we saw kind of what happened with with version one of Bard, um, right? When when Google tried to to show that uh, live and and uh, live and in conference, and it and it went horribly horribly wrong. That's okay. We shouldn't look at those as failures, but rather kind of steps on the path of learning uh, what the kind of next step is. Um, and we we definitely have a kind of we can call it a garbage in garbage out problem, but it's not really accurate. Um, you need as many training points for LLMs as humanly possible. And that, and that effectively means all of the internet. The problem is um, you shouldn't trust all of the internet. And therefore any AI learning from all of the internet is going to come along with that same level of distrust and that same level of bias. Right? So, so it's really important to not, you know, to, to be cautious, to be, critical um, and to be skeptical um, and but at the same time really pay attention to kind of what's happening um, of all the LLMs the one that concerns me most is Elon's to be honest because um, he, he lately seems to have an attitude of of not wanting to be left behind and making some rash decisions um, what he's done with Twitter has not has has really kind of shown an operational side of how he makes decisions that does not imbue me with a lot of trust in his uh, leadership style <clears throat> or his ability to kind of carry that forward. Um, today, uh, OpenAI is, is, is the current leader in, in these uh, generative AIs and, and LLMs, but Microsoft's made a huge investment. Um, Google has shown historically that they absolutely have the ability for achievement in, in these new spaces. Um, and <clears throat> Facebook is sitting on Meta is sitting on an enormous wealth of data about the people that live in the world that can directly impact, directly affect, and direct, directly um, kind of leapfrog um, LLMs in their ability to <clears throat> to speak to humans, which is the point, right? Um, you know, there's 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 also the additional privacy issues. There's there's the the kind of um, um, you know, kind of copyright um, ownership of content issues that we see within within these LLMs, right? Um, and but but I think it's a it's a wonderful time to kind of participate. My big concern is we're going to jump to conclusions on legislation. It's my big concern. When we look to other places in the world and see what they're doing, um, the faster we regulate AI, the better it will likely be for the privacy concerns. I have no doubt about that. At the same time. The faster we regulate AI or legislate AI, the worse it will be for innovation. And we have to keep in mind that this is a globally competitive space. And so we have to we have to balance our legislative um, desires <clears throat> and thus our privacy protection desires with our desire to, to, to remain an innovation leader in the world. And this is the new frontier, right? So we really need to think about and we really need to be cautious in how we do that. Um, my big concern is that they're going to attempt to legislate the way they have 
many times in the past, and they're not going to invite the right people in the in the room. And you need people that understand the purpose of law and how technology operates to be that bridge. You you need to have more than just technologists in the room and just lawyers in the room. You need to have people that really have a firm understanding of that of that bridge work to be able to work through the nuances and make sure that that um, it's not just the loudest voice in the room that wins. That's a great point, right? So there's a moratorium, a call for a moratorium from several technologists, <laughs> several business leaders saying, hey, let's slow down until we understand you know, how to control this before it gets out of hand. Elon Musk, among others, that's on there. We have seen that when you open things up to the public, um, it can be terrifying, right? You remember Microsoft Tay, the chat bot that went out there and ingested everything from social media and it turned out very badly <laughs> and they flipped the switch back off. Uh, I think less than 48 hours later, but it seems like the opportunity for AI is to put the right filters on the data, make sure you're getting high quality data, and then you're actually training it to do whatever the decision that you want to make. Is that the right way to think about this, Howard? Are companies that are doing the process um, in a business constructive way going to make a ton of money from this movement? Um, uh, uh, AI has the potential to change business and not because it's smarter than anybody else, but because it doesn't have the same bias as we do. So we did this, we did an experiment at a former employer um, on behalf of a retail organization and the retail company wanted to increase revenues by 3%. That's all they were looking for. Um, it's a pretty big, pretty big ask, but, but you know, um, that's the specific ask and that was the totality of it. And so we fed all of that into uh, an AI system. We fed all their data in it, which included all of their um, camera data, their surveillance data from the stores. And what we expected was the same thing the customer expected. We expected the AI to come back and say, run a promotion here, lower cost here, um, add a register here. And instead, what it said was, make more employees walk through this area of the store. None of us would have thought of that. Not a single solitary person in the room. And, and, and we're no dummies, right? Um, and what happened was, what the AI did was it, it, it looked at the uh, video surveillance. And what it saw was people would go over to the shelf. They'd pick up an object. They'd look at it. They'd look at it for a minute, they'd look around for a person, then they'd hold it in one hand, pull out their phone, do something on their phone, wait again, dwell for a bit, put it back on the shelf and walk out of the store. And you could almost see them typing in amazon.com and <laughs> right. the product. Um, and it was effectively just uh, people weren't getting help in the way that they needed. And once they put people there, they saw more than that 3% increase. Um, that's the kind of thing that AI is really good at. AI is really good at making connections where the human brain, because of our natural biases, and the idea that we know better because we work in it, do, do not make, right? And so there is a tremendous am amount of potential um, that exists within AI to, to, to change incredible, uh, to change the world in incredible ways and very positive ways and a ton of money to be made. Um, I would just, there's, there is investigation required because not all AI is created equally. Digging a, a layer deeper into that of, how this actually happens behind the scenes, right? When you're when you're doing uh, machine learning inference, that's uh, a ton of computing horsepower you need to do this. It, GPT, it's been documented as spending, what is it, hundreds of thousands of dollars every day just for the computing and the infrastructure that's behind the scenes of Azure that's running the applications for these things. Um, we know that NVIDIA, you know, the GPUs have kind of been the uh, the horse that's been carrying a lot of that thus far. Uh, the parallel computing of GPUs over CPUs, great move. We saw yesterday, or just a couple of days ago, Microsoft unveil its own AI workhorse chips. Uh, Athena, I think is what they were calling them, but kind of custom silicon to address the unique needs of AI workloads. 
Are you hardware agnostic? Do you think that just we're going to continue to see the NVIDIAs of the world, maybe the AMDs, you know, with the Epic 4 processors, continue to get iteratively better and better? Uh, or is this going to be something where we see more and more of kind of these, these custom chips, you know, like, like Facebook's done, like Amazon has done, now Microsoft's doing, to address um, very unique sl slivers of this bigger picture? I, I think we're always going to see custom chips, right? Um, it's it's kind of funny, right? Uh, uh, I don't know, 35, 40 years ago, we saw custom chips everywhere, right? And then the ASICs kind of became the name of the game, right? Um, um, you know, FPGAs became the name of the game, right? Let's we I can now program the custom code into the chip and have the chip act the way I want it to. Um, and yet we we still see the rise of the CPU. We still see the, the reliance on the CPU. And the fact is, the reason all this stuff exists is because um, a processor's not one thing, it's many things, right? It's a it's a it's a, a gated array for lack of a better term that that ultimately is purpose built to solve a problem. Um, we're not gonna see the Intels and AMDs of the world kind of go away, right? Um, like you know, if we if we look at the uh, at the at the risk processors that we all carry around in our in our little mobile phones, um, you know, those were supposed to replace x86 hardware. Uh, what a decade ago, um, and ARM processors have not been able to come anywhere close to to really accomplishing it in a, in a massive way. Um, I would argue Apple's been the most successful um, with their their M1 chip, <clears throat> but there are still workloads that simply run extremely well on traditional x86 processors, 64-bit processors. Um, I don't think we're going to see that go away. Matter of fact, a really cool AI project, if you if you look into it. Is they're trying to use AI to determine um, what the the next um, uh, molecular structure of silicon will be that we use to create wafers out of to create processors, um, be, because we we feel we're getting to the end of the of the uh, of the the silicon that we are currently using. Uh, it's a very interesting project when you when you kind of look into it, and not something that I would have thought about before I started looking into kind of you know the the how it's made of processors, um, but but. As workloads change, um, we're, we're going to kind of follow that same uh, evolutionary roadmap, right? We're gonna we're gonna try it on a CPU first because it's easy. That's the easiest way to get it working. I don't need. Um, I have all the coding I need to do that. I have all the 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 translation I need to do that. I have the programming language I need to do. I need to do that. And then as we find the limitations of the CPU, we're gonna try the next best available thing. In this case, probably a GPU, and then we'll move to a TPU, and then we'll 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 likely reach the end the limitations of each of those and go. Okay, is it is there enough value within this space, within this workload, within this computing style to spin up a new type of, of uh, processor and create a dedicated processor for this particular workload? Um, so I think we're going to see, I think we're going to continue to see what we're seeing. And I think we're going to see more of it as, um, as it accelerates. And again, I think this is a place where AI is likely going to be applied, right? Can you take that maybe one step further to Howard and talk about FPGAs a little bit more? This is a field programmable gateway. Like you said, you can actually uh, program the processor to do exactly what you want it to do. That can change over time. It doesn't have to just be for one static application. Uh, Xilinx was a, what was it? $40 billion acquisition of Xilinx that AMD just made for this very purpose, for building out an ecosystem for really smart developers uh, and semiconductor engineers to, to you know, train their chips to do whatever it is they want. Do you think this is, is this gaining adoption out there? You see FPGAs more these days? No, 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 not really. Um, okay. the, the, the problem with, 
okay, so so if I want to write code for a CPU, uh, I just write code. It's just code. If I want to then take advantage of a GPU, I use uh, a, an API and libraries from NVIDIA or AMD to do that, right? Um, and I'm still just writing that code that way. FPGAs aren't aren't done that way. FPGAs are done at the assembly level um, and require people that really understand how to write to FPGAs. So I need specialized knowledge, special talent to take advantage of an FPGA. And I need a workload that's really kind of purpose-built for that. Um, and the workloads that are purpose-built for that are those that move bits around generally, right? Um, so I, if I want to build a new piece of networking gear, right? And and the last piece used, used CPUs, and I want to add um, in, intrusion detection as a terrible example, but as an example, um, I can use an FPGA to do that. I can offload all my IDP workloads to the FPGA, um, and the FPGA can process extremely quickly um, all of that work. But then I have proprietary hardware, right? So now I'm I'm burning my own I'm burning my own uh, hardware. I'm not using anything off the shelf. Um, I've got I've got custom software developers with a very unique skill set, and I'm running custom code that addresses that all all of that kind of custom work. Um, and, and it's it's interesting. Um, you know, five, six years ago, we kind of moved everything away from custom silicon, right? Um, all the storage manufacturers, everybody was really pushing towards x86 hardware, um, no custom silicon. We pulled all our FPGAs out. It's now it's now COTS, consumer off-the-shelf system, um, which put all of the intelligence in the software, which was a great move at the time, right? Um, we saw a big change from kind of in storage. We saw a big change from RAID into erasure coding, which was effectively, I changed my my error correction, my data protection from the controller and the hardware into software, um, allowed me to allowed for a whole bunch of advantages. Um, and then we kind of went, well, there's still some value to FPGAs. Now we need to think about FPGAs again. Um, but but again, narrow use cases, very specific use cases, and hardware companies. Um, I, I, they're not going to go away. I don't think they should go away. They serve a very good purpose, but they're not going to replace a GPU. They're not going to replace a TPU. Um, they're once again, they're going to be in addition to, and for very specific purposes. And generally, generally for moving bits around. Fascinating. That's a that's two beer conversation right there, Howard. I'll, I'll move on, <laughs> but you know, we'll get back to that. Maybe it's a two bourbon conversation or tea. I know you're more of a tea guy than a coffee guy, but something to double back on. Let's go back to the cloud. Let's talk about the infrastructure providers, right? The cloud titans out there. Um, I've followed 